0: For the record. For the record. For the record. For the record. For the
1: record.
0: For the record. Can you hear the difference? Can you hear the mage? Can you hear the dart?
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode forty-four of For the Record, your weekly music podcast. where We talk about all things music. Sometimes we talk about records, sometimes we talk about issues, and sometimes we just talk about things we want to talk about. And this episode is an example of that, the third category, just something we want to talk about. You can follow us on Further Record Pod, Facebook and Instagram and all that good schniz. Uh, My name is Sean Tierney. Thanks a million for joining us. And with me, as always, is Mr. Zach Buggy. Hello there. Oh, that was really... Full on and impressive, and in my ears, I loved it. How are you, my friend?
0: Good. I'm not too bad, bro. How you doing? I'm
1: pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm 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 looking forward to talk about this because, um, yeah, I've picked a couple of ones that you're gonna laugh at me for, but uh, yeah, well, one that you're definitely gonna laugh at me for, but um, that's well, we'll get there. We'll get there.
0: Before we get stuck in, I will say that I came up with this idea. I can't remember when you asked me to start the podcast with you. Was it the end of?
1: It was the end. So what year has, what year are we in now? 2023. We started in like, so we did like a pilot episode that never aired at the end of 2021.
0: Okay. So that's when we started. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was toward the end of 2021. You asked me if I was up for doing a podcast with you. Mm -hmm. So I recorded, I, I wrote down this list on the 10th of December, 2020. So I've been kicking around doing this in some form of podcast or blog (laughs) or just something for fucking years now, which is basically like a one and done scenario where I just thought of all the brilliant bands or brilliant albums that I love that never had a follow up. And my list is about like going to, it's nearly 20 at this point, but What we're going to do today is our usual exchange list thing where we do a top three each, right? And then I think if this goes well.
1: Maybe not a top three, just kind of three examples,
0: I think. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. And then if we do three each and then because otherwise, there's so many great albums on this list I want to talk about and I don't want to blow my load on one episode. So I think we'll call this like volume one of one and dones.
1: I think so, definitely. I think that's probably a a good way of doing it
0: because literally this morning, I just, I didn't even think too much about it this morning. I just pulled out the list because each one of these albums is near and dear to me. And I just had about a 20 minutes meditation on what three I really want to dissect today. <laughs> but but all of these other ones, I definitely want to come back to at some point and discuss as well. But I think today yeah, is the, our, is volume one of our th- one and done series, which is just where we, are really going to talk about some fucking brilliant albums that basically came out, whether they were side projects or new bands that never went anywhere else. Just an amazing album and then a mic drop.
1: Yeah. And I think that's just to to kind of clarify, that's what this is. This isn't bands who just released a debut album and will be releasing one in, you know, a couple of years. This is literally, there's one album, there's kind of no sign of reformations or a, a second release on the horizon. This is... Literally, as the title suggests, one and done.
0: Yeah. And and maybe it is that thing of, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, or it or it is really what it is. But you know, each one of these albums is so good, it's like, Whoa, where would this band have gone after this? Where what would a second album have sounded like? But is that only elevated by the fact that there is only one album? But like of I, course, but
1: I, I'm kind of laughing here to myself because there's definitely one of these that I'm not sure the quality of and I just feel like at the time I was just kind of excited by it and I don't really <laughs> know how objective I'm being with these picks which is why I'd like to stress this is not a top three this is just three examples of bands that released one and done Um before we get into ours, um, I don't know now. I, we don't know each other's picks or anything, but I stayed away from a couple of the like really big ones, like Lauren Hill, the Miseducation, Lauren Hill, and stuff. Like, I mean, if you're putting together a list of the greatest artists with just one album, I mean that's up near the top of them, really. Like, you know, so so I I stayed away from stuff like that. And another one I didn't put on this list, but we might get it if we do a volume two, is uh, Operation Ivy. I just want to like, I I throw my hands up, you know, it's a one and done. Obviously, I fucking adore it. But I, I, you know, so I stayed away from kind of the really, really big ones, if that makes sense. I don't know if you did something similar or...
0: To be fair, if... To anyone who's a regular-ish listener who's listened to this podcast and heard our list episodes like Hmm. this, like this one before, you know, I never go for the fucking obvious ones. You really don't, no. And like, that's kind of the point of this podcast because there probably is fifty podcasts talking about why the miseducation of Hill is one of the greatest one and done albums ever. We're here to talk about the one and done albums that that should have more podcasts (laughs) about them. And
1: they actually mightn't even be that good. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that we like them. Um, Um, Seeing as how how this is your idea, do you want to kick us off?
0: Oh, okay. Hmm. Where to begin? I'm going to go with an album that I was vibing mad on again a couple of weeks ago. It's an album I kind of revisit once a year when I'm in the mood for something really obnoxiously heavy and nothing new is doing it for me. But this album has like so much more going on underneath the surface and it really just shocks me that this band, for whatever reason, just never made any real waves, notable waves at all.
1: Can I guess what it is? Of course you can. I could be way off, but just when you said obnoxiously heavy, is this Buster by Admiral Angry, No. No, no, it's not possible. Ah, fuck! I, I thought I finally could guess one of yours. <laughs>
0: oh, that—that that is an immense fucking album with arguably the heaviest breakdown of all time. Illusion of Strength. But th- that's that's an episode unto itself because it actually, actually might be. <laughs> I'm getting NAM flashbacks thinking about a <laughs> closing breakdown and break an illusion of strength. Like, oh my fucking gods. Oh, like, oh, no, no. Why'd you bring up Adam? <sighs> sorry, sorry,
1: sorry. I just thought I was like, yes, I finally got a guess one. But no, I was wrong.
0: No, I'm talking about an album called Fetish by a band known as The Boy Will Drown. And it came out in 2009, I'm nearly certain, on e Records. They're a UK-based band who, I mean, before that, they only had one demo, and then they released Fetish. And I, I think all of the songs, all of the three or four tracks on their demo were re-recorded and retitled for Fetish. So basically, those 10 tracks are like all that exists of the band's output. And it's really hard to pin down their sound because they came up in the you know, it was the late '90s, 2008, 2009. So it was it was when every band in the UK and shit was in deathcore bands. So like a lot of people kind of assume that they're deathcore and they got lumped in with the deathcore crowd. And their EP does have a couple of fucking like typical pig squeals here and there. But by the time the album came around, they'd omitted the pig squeals, omitted almost any kind of deathcore leanings. And every time I listen back to the record, it's literally an amalgamation of technical death metal, hardcore punk, and post hardcore all at once. And I mean, and I'm talking like cryptopsy levels of technicality, like fucking absurd bass lines and rapid fire fucking tapping and mad time signatures. And like, but then the lyrics are, and the, the song titles are very humorous, you know, deep throat. Uh, which, which was originally called Deep Throat, isn't a movie. Dead Girls, which was originally called Dead Girls Don't Say No. Oh, Barry God! Mo- yeah, Barry Moore's Pool Party. So when you see these song titles, you're like, Oh, okay, here we go. And then you read the lyrics, and the lyrics are like, it's one of those like that one of those emo things with these absurdly stupid song titles, and then these really deep ass lyrics. All the lyrics on the fucking album are like these horrific metaphors about like the world ending and relationships falling apart and betrayal, but like done in this really poetic manner. And then the album, like like I said, is so absurdly technical and then blisteringly heavy. So it can go like, it can feel like tech death and then the pummeling brutality of hardcore punk all at once. But then it'll go into these like really like cathartic, like fucking post-hardcore crescendos, kind of like we were talking about in the Zulu album. Like how it like can like the ending of who bless no one curse like there's there's moments on the album where it goes into these almost death tones post metal like real triumphant cathartic crescendos when it's like wasn't I just listening to like a myriad of blast beats and fucking horrible breakdowns a minute ago? It, it the album is just it's absurd to me like that this album never it didn't make a dent in the deathcore scene in the technical death metal scene even like this album borders on mathcore. This is like tech death and hardcore like twisted to a point where it's more, it actually leans toward math core more yet. Like apart from like maybe one buddy of mine who loves all the same shit as me, Dillinger and all that. We, he, him and me discovered the band around the same time. And apart from the two of us, I've never met anyone who's familiar with the band. Yes. Every time I go. And as the years go by, the older I get new albums come out in similar genres and each year, I find myself going back to the boy will drown fetish just cause I wanna hear, cause there's nothing else that sounds like it. Cause it's like I said, it's, it takes so many boxes for me at once. It gives me like that dizzying, head spinning technicality of like tech death But it also has like, and it does, it's it's weird. It's not like death core it's like technical death metal and hardcore punk they 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 almost they still retain more of the individual aspects of those genres rather than combining them into like a more just standard deathcore formula and then that makes the really melodic moments the really cathartic kind of post hardcore moments really burst out and then that's not even to mention there are just really strange moments like um there's a track called joseph fritzl and in the it, and it's just a total nightmare of fucking noise and then out of nowhere it turns into like A bluegrass tune for a good minute and a half. It's just a bluegrass like pulse and and this weird old twangy fucking banjo, and then it just goes. The um, the 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 capabilities and the the ability of the lads on this is just insane. And they're a four piece: singer, guitarist, bassist, drummer. And I even like found an old video of them on YouTube, and like someone even put in the bio because obviously it was like some fan in this small venue filmed it. And obviously when the album came out, people were like giving out that there's no way they can play this shit live. This is all just doctored in the studio type stuff. And you watch like this live video of them in the tiny little club playing the shit like virtuosos. And like the bio even says to all the people who doubted that they could execute this shit live, just watch this. And it's like two songs. And yeah, just, and and I think it was almost probably too much in that deathcore scene. Because like if you look at them, they look like a normal deathcore band. They're in Fred Perry's and they've all got short hair. One of them's got a fringe. But then when you see them play, you know, like the bass player's playing five string with his fingers, which you never used to see like mm-hmm. a lot of deathcore basses doing. And I think they were almost too much for people who just wanted as Blood Runs Black copycats. It was too technical. It was too melodic. It was too abrasive. It was almost too much it, it took all of the kind of aspects that were making Deathcore work, but did them in a different, more unique way. And to me, it, the album is like, it, like it was never even released on vinyl. And there's like that earache thing where if they get enough subscriptions for an album, they'll press it. And like, I've tried, I've signed up for it, but like we, we can't even get to 200 people mm-hmm. to sign up to get a, a pressing of the album done on vinyl. Like that's how little this band are known. And I, it it upsets me greatly because I mean... To me, they're one of the best-kept secrets in UK metal and hardcore and extreme music ever. Like, if anyone who's into anything I've talked about there, technical death metal, hardcore punk, Dillinger, Escape Plan, Cryptopsy, Necrophagist, like, and then, like, if you like a bit of post-hardcore and you like a bit of nuance and something surprising you, like, this album is so technical, so absurdly heavy. Yes, it's not... It's not impenetrable. It's not, like... You know how Dillinger Dillinger sounds so like Jesus at first, but once you've listened, once you've kind of cracked the code with Dillinger, like Panasonic Youth makes sense mm. and Farewell Mona Lisa makes sense, that's what the boy will drown are like. It's not like Jesus Christ, I can never keep up with any of this. Once you've listened to the album two or three times. Like the technicality clicks with you. You can follow the leads of the guitar and the time signature changes and the vocals are very clear. Like, and the songs are about two and a half to three minutes. They don't overstate or welcome. So there's an instantaneous catchy quality to the songs, even though they're absurdly technical and heavy. Um, it, it's, it's just an immense piece of work. 10 mm. tracks, half an hour. And it's one of my favorite, just extreme albums ever. One of my favorite metal and hardcore albums. Ever and it, it it's just absurd. Not enough people listen to it or know it. The boy will drown fetish. I will every year. I go back to it and I will continue to go back to it.
1: Um, it's funny you said that. Um, you know, it's just you and a body of yours. I, I believe. I believe I know which body it is. Um, you know. are the are the only kind of two people who know it? But um, I actually I know this record. Um, I I remember listening to it back in the day, and I was a bit like you. I was wondering why it wasn't hitting. But if you think about it. In 2000, like in 2008, 2009, like 2008, Bring Me the Rising release, Suicide Season. um, And, you know, like, do you remember like Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, that kind of southern groovy, yeah. you know, and as well, like, you know, Cancer Bats were really hitting at the time. I think there was just a shift away from that kind of technical, you know, that kind of technical music a little bit. A little bit, you know, I think they might have just fell through the cracks and particularly in the, um, particularly in the UK scene, the UK scene was moving on at that point. You know, there was a lot of like really cool bands around that time, like fucking Heights and all that stuff around that time, if my memory serves me correctly. Um So there was a, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of other stuff going on at that time. Um, I can, I can see what you're saying. That you're wondering how it never hits and all this on because I remember actually quite liking it. Um, I I just looked it up there as you were talking and I remember the artwork and I, I remember the record and um but yeah I think that maybe maybe the scene was shifting slightly at the time you know and they kind of fell through the cracks slightly because you are right it is it from what I remember it is a really really good record it's really solid it's really like you said really technical. Uh, but it does have that kind of weight in that a lot of really technical music doesn't have sometimes but um yeah that's a, that's a really really good shout man um the boy will drone fetish great way to kick us off on
0: our one and done fair play um, yeah, i'm glad i'm glad you know it cuz it's just it's it's just an album i feel like you know i mentioned it in an episode before you know there's you know there's an album that you love and you're like and that you know isn't that big and you can't help but think of all the people you know with similar tastes who would love this exact record? And I'm like, why? am I the only one who's who feels like they've yeah. discovered this when other people should be, like this? It just it deserves more appreciation, I think. So I that's why I had I had to start with that because and it was because it was the one I was listening to most recently and that I'd revisited most recently. And fuck me, it's it's still a stellar record. And talk about a one and done.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna chat that on actually once uh once we get finished. I'm gonna get get back to it at some point this week. Um. My first one, um, I'm going to get the ridiculous one out of the way first. Um, This is is a band I don't think we've ever discussed, either definitely not on this or in person, as far as I know. Um, What did you think of Bullet For My Valentine? He says, knowing the answer.
0: I don't think you know the answer. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Because I was, funnily enough, okay, quick tangent, I was literally only talking about this the other day at work because Two Thousand Trees announced the Bullet for My Valentine as the final headliner. It and is. I must admit, I think it's pretty wank because like, I, I just said it to my buddy, I was like, you know, last year it was a little turnstile and thrice. <laughs> and this year, to have Bullet for My Valentine in place of any of those three bands is just fucking lunacy. And I get it, they're a big band, a big draw, but I personally think but for my Valentine, are terrible. They're shit. They're crap. They're a bad band. There's no objectivity here. I really think they're terrible. I think they make like metal music for people who don't like metal. Or like they, they, they make metal music for guys who need something to pump them up in the gym, but like who would still call metalheads gots. And that's totally fine. I, you know, more respect to them. They make their money, all that shit. You know, they can buy and sell me whatever. Not my thing. Do not like them. That being said, I was a teenager once. <laughs> Interesting. And the self-titled EP and their debut album, The Poison, came out when I was the exact target Marcus for that type of shit because I liked my metal and I liked my hardcore, but I was also an emo kid and I liked pop punk and I was all about trivium. I always said I was all about early trivium. I loved Ember to Inferno and Ascendancy. And then the Crusade just shattered the illusion for me mm-hmm. and and gave up on trivium. But more power to people who still like them, you know, like what you like. But same about it for my Valentine. So when they released Scream Aim Fire as the title track, first single from Scream Aim Fire, I remember just bursting my whole laughing and thinking, this sucks. This is terrible. This is really crap. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm done with this band. I'm done with this music. I had just started getting into like heavier hardcore and shit. And I was like, yeah, so." But that being said, I will always have a nostalgic place in my heart for Ascendancy by Trivium because I loved it as a kid. And the exact same with Bullet For My Valentine. I, I loved the self-titled EP. I loved The Poison. I even owned the deluxe edition of The Poison, that came with five B-side bonus tracks and a bonus disc with the self-titled EP. And I had the live DVD live in Brixton. So at like 14, 15, I was their exact target market. I think the band are shit now, but I still... There's a nostalgic place in my heart for The Poison, even though I still probably wouldn't listen to it now.
1: (laughs) I am kind of similar, to be honest. I think that... Bullet, once upon a time, threatened to be a really, really great band. And then they fell into they massive amounts of mediocrity. Uh, screaming Fire has its moments. The record that came after that in 2010, uh, Fever, is fucking great. There's some really, really good tracks in it. And I saw them at Download 2010. I think they headlined the second stage, or else they were fairly high up on the second stage. And they were absolutely outrageous. They won the bands of the weekend, man. I couldn't believe how good they were because I was just kind of waning on them a little bit. Anyway, the reason for this whole Bullet preamble is my first one and done pick (laughs) is it came at a time where Bullet were one, were one of the biggest bands in metal alongside, you know, your Triviums and fucking of God and Avenged and all them. They were one of the biggest of the new crop. And then, it was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. And then Matt Tuck from Bullet for My Valentine announced a side project featuring members of Glamour of the Kill, Pitch Shifter, Rise to Remain and most importantly, and the thing that really tickled me, Mr. Liam Carmier from Cancer Bats. <laughs> the album I am talking about, my one and done, is Vultures by Axe Wound. Do you remember this record?
0: Not at all. Like, not even for a fucking millisecond. Really? I was like... when I was rambling about Bullet there, I was like, why is he getting me to talk about Bullet for My Valentine when The Poison is not their only album? So where is this going? I don't know that Matt is any side project. I am completely in the dark here. Enlighten me, sir. <laughs> really?
1: Okay. So uh, when we when we first brought up this topic, we actually, we, we decided we are going to do this a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe more at this stage. So I was kind of thinking about my one and done records and all this kind of thing. And I said... Fuck it! Remember that Axe wound album? I'm going to throw that on, and I'm going to just laugh at how shit it is. I was kind of surprised. It's actually really, really fun. It's really, really fun. It's metal. It's got great, great, great riffs in it. Whatever you say about Matt Tuck, he is a talented guitarist. He's not a great songwriter, but he's a talented guitarist. You know, he can he can really play. Um, which is, which is fine. But fuck me, there's some massive riffs in this. It's, it's metalcore, I guess, in the, in that 2010 sense of metalcore, you know? Um, And I I had such a laugh listening to it. I was driving the car. I, I was, I just had such a laugh. It's, the riffs are massive. The drumming is massive. It's a proper like ripping, groovy metalcore record. I honestly think it might be the best thing Matt Tuck has ever been on. Uh, (laughs) um, Liam Carmier, when he's going for the full-on fucking metal vocals, ah, just pump it straight into my veins. He adds this, like, kind of this hardcore sensibility to the metal vocals. And that style just works so well. And you could see it on, you know, the stuff like... um, sleep this away and you know darkness lives from cancer bats you know when they when they go for that proper hulking riff and then Liam just fucking shrieking over the top of it this when record he
0: out the, when he lets out the ergs the yes ergs, when he yeah.
1: ergs this record man is a great showcase for it like when Matt Tuck does his fucking his chorus he bits on it yeah whatever I'm not I'm not big in it, to be honest. It's kind of the weak points of the record, to be honest. But like, in fairness to him, he does take a little bit of a backseat. Liam is most definitely the front man. Um, But yeah, I mean, the album, like, it runs out of steam. Like, I I think that would be probably putting it it mildly. Um, But like, for the most part, it's 41 minutes. And for a half an hour, this is a real fucking this is a real blast. It's it's not clever. It's not big, but it's heavy. The riffs are great. The drumming is sick. And it kind of makes me think, you know, there's all these bands now that people say are like, oh, they're really cool, man. They're really heavy and la, la. la, la. And it, it just shows that even a side project from someone like Matt Tuck is far more brutal far more heavy than some of these really super uber polished metal bands that were being fed in 2023. And I must say, I did, I did decide to put this on as a laugh, but if I hold my hands up, I fucking enjoyed the shit out of it. It was such a laugh revisiting it. And I remember it kind of took me back to hearing the album for the first time and the kind of excitement of you know, Liam getting a chance to hang with someone who was in a huge metal band and maybe it'll be big for Cancer Bats, And then that record actually not being that bad, you know? So look, it's, it's just something because we're not doing top threes. It's just, you know, our little picks of, you know, one and dones that you might not have heard. That's the reason it's in here. It's not going to change your life. But if you want to listen to something with just fucking big fuck off riffs, catchy choruses, Fuck, huge drumming. The drumming is unreal. Axe Wound Vultures is an absolute riot from start to finish. I I was stunned by how much I actually enjoyed it um, when I revisited it. So yeah, that's my first pick, Axe Wound Vultures.
0: I'm definitely going to have to do a little research just to hear some of this cuz like I've never fucking heard of this at all man. <laughs> if if I'm if I'm being 100% honest, I don't
1: know if you'll enjoy it given the shit you're into now cuz it's very yeah. 2000s metalcore. But the addition of the attitude and the the charisma of Liam Cormier I think makes it infinitely better than like 95% of modern kind of metalcore bands.
0: So, my number two, even though it's not really a list, are a top three or whatever. Your second choice. My second choice would be... I think at this point, it's no big secret that I'm a big fan of emo music. Mm-hmm. So... I remember, like, when I was deep in the throes of the emo revival. <laughs> all obsessed with, like... Everything on Run for Cover records, like in love with Turnover and Citizen and Basement and Modern Baseball and checking out like American Football and Captain Jazz and fucking Owls and Braid and Empire Empire I was a lonely estate and just soaking up all that shit. And a buddy of mine mentioned Snowing to me, and he goes like, "Oh, have you ever?" He was like, "You love all this emo stuff. You surely checked out Snowing. They're like the ones." I was like, I've never heard of Snowing Man. And he said, Oh dude, go go check out Snowing. And they only had one EP. I have I have the I have their entire discography on vinyl. It was just one EP and one album. So the EP was released in 2010, I think. And it was called Fuck Your Emotional Bullshit. And 2013, they... it says here. No, no, no way. Because their their album came out in like 2011. So like they were broken up by then. So like 2013, no way.
1: There's also a record here from 2016.
0: That time I sat in a pile of chocolate. Yeah, that's a compilation of the EP "Fuck Your Emotional Bullshit" and a bunch ah, of demos, okay, and there are two cool. compilation songs. That's what I ha- I have that on vinyl, which is right. the compilation of the EP and all the like demos, and then I have the album, and the album is called "I Could Do Whatever I Wanted If I Wanted," <laughs> and that is the pinnacle of emo revival to me. Uh, That album is like, it it was one of those ones I had to really go on a mission to track down on vinyl. And uh, it's one of my like babies that I'm so happy to own. Snowing sound. mm, I think because snowing were kind of big before, well, they weren't even big, but snowing were around before there was the before this kind of run for cover boom in like the 2010s made everyone get into emo and melodic hardcore and shit snowing were kind of before that Uh, and snowing are like the definition of an emo band used almost as a form of therapy even their bio is kind of like you know snowing formed just for four guys who were like in between work and college and school and they just kind of used it as like a as a vehicle just to process a bunch of emotions and an outlet and then they all just kind of went their separate ways now the sound of snowing is like really indebted to like cat and jazz and a lot of that 90s math rocky eskimo or you know that thing of like you know is it math rock or is it pop punk with twinkly parts <laughs> <laughs> Snowing played in that middle ground or like sometimes it was pop punk with twinkly parts and sometimes it was like shouty math rock but what makes uh, the album just just one of my favorites is just how how brutally honest and absurd it is it it is like it's it's Pinkerton levels of uncomfortable honesty. Like to a point where it yeah it's it's considered one of like the underground emo classics because of just how it's really frenetic it's really... it's short it's like I think the album's only like twenty nine minutes and the songs can go from minute and a half super techy bursts of energy to these full on four minute really slow gorgeous lush emo arrangements and lyrically I mean the album is rough it like it really goes into John Gham, uh is the is the primary songwriter? I'm nearly certain. I just want to make sure because I know there's another John Gom who does like fucking fancy Newton Faulkner acoustic yeah. guitar and shite. And I just so I just want to make sure I've got my man's name. It is
1: yeah, John G A L M. There we go.
0: Gom. Back myself, John Gom. His snowing mainly seems to have been an outlet for him processing his father's death. So a lot of the lyrics on here are about grief and about kind of lashing out and failed relationships and I mean they're like the closing track could be better forever that's what is one of my favorite album closers of all time and you know the refrain is well my dad died just like his dad died and I know someday I'll die but I'm alive and he, he screams I'm alive like it's the worst thing in the world to be alive like in that time and it's just him constantly screaming over but I'm alive and it's like, it should be this triumphant thing. At least I am alive, but you can tell it's not. He's almost envious that the two men became, that came before him in his family line are just dead. And he's got to still be alive and, and accept that grief. And, you know, and then, and then there's like a lot of really, really Rivers Cuomo, cringy, bittersweet kind of, you know. Uh, you know, I spent my last six bucks on whiskey and sent a thousand texts that I regret, but they're li- written in a language I don't know. <laughs> there are things you know about me now. I wish you didn't know. And, you're, and like so, the album is a very uncomfortable listen in that sense. Even the the opening track on the album, I think we're in Minsk, starts with the line, "Play Vera Lynn at my funeral." Right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's the album is absurdly dramatic and right. over the top. But then, like, but th- so, th- but then you fall into like a trap with like a song like KJ Jammin, which is about him trying his first beer, or. There's an amazing song that I think the shortest song on the album is about a minute and a half. Uh, memo, yeah, that's fine, man. And it's a minute and a half emo, twinkly, pop punk math song about not being in college. <laughs> and, and, and it is one of the most like soberingly relatable tunes ever. When there's a line where he says... I'll call Graham and we'll smash it today. We'll yell at the college kids, watch Predator again and hate ourselves. And I think every young fella who's like dropped out of college or been in between jo- can can I att- attest to that? Like hanging out with a mate who's doing nothing as well, watching a film you've seen a million times, and like talking shit on other people who are doing shit with their lives. Like, yeah. I'm, and you're kind of like, I I I, I get that.
1: I get that smoking fags and having day beers, like
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. You're like, oh fuck, I have been there. And like, and the and the, the album to me is just it, it's everything that's kind of that what emo was meant to be about. It's like. Overtly honest and you know, slightly uh, very self deprecating and self pitying. And you see, the thing about emo that a lot of people I don't think understand is it's meant to be, it's almost meant to be, and maybe I'm giving it too much credit. But the reason I love emo so much is I find that there's a beautiful irony in the sense that the music is overtly dramatic and over the top, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be overly sincere, overly honest, self-deprecating uh, and dramatic because these are all the emotions that happen in your late teens, early 20s. And and then I think revisiting it as when you're older, the, the irony is that there are moments of like true introspection and clarity that come through like little slices that come through. The, the utter like fucking chaos of being a young person who's like trying to process their emotions and grief and shit. There are times where you see a real like, oh yeah. There there is there's gems of like nuggets of knowledge in the in the midst of it all. And and I and I and I think there's no greater example of that than that one snowing album. I mean, yeah. it's just it, it and it like I said, it runs the gamut from like super fast techie minute and a half, like Matty emo pop punk songs to these real drawn out lush really sobering sad pieces like uh like the 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 center point song on the album that's the real sad moment is called so i shotgunned a beer and went back to bed but like (laughs) yeah (laughs) but 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 lyrically that song is like fucking soul destroying um it's just a brilliant brilliant album and the range on it like i said that there's like there's like five different styles the band could have pursued for a second album. But they're all just crammed together on these 11 tracks 29 minutes and and then they just parted ways and like and they're one of the they get back together once every couple of years do a run of shows you know like even hate five six has done pr- recordings of their performances because they're like kind of that they're they're, they're that revered in mm. the underground scene but yeah to me that that album is like that album kind of shits on everything that came after it even though it's not really known in or held in the highest esteem but the people who know about snowing know you know it, there's all there's um there's like there's pages about snowing just dedicated to snowing memes and how over the top the lyrics are and you know like once you fall into the snowing hole like the like I said, the discography's only like an hour, but if you fall in there, you really you kind of stay it's like you fall into the John gom's journal, you just mm. follow him around through the year or two after his dad died drinking too much and not eating and just riding his bike around the town, thinking way too much about the wrong things you know it, it, like even even like to bring it back to that closing track again could be better forever. You know, there's a horrible line where he and he's just talking about like what we don't know about what comes next in the afterlife. And he says, you know, um, you know, I'll drive my car off the road. I'll pray the tank explodes. The impact will snap my bones and I'll plunge head first toward the unknown. Will St. Pete assess my soul or will I sleep without dreams in some hole? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And anybody's he, singing that over this lovely, twinkly fucking beat. And he's like, nah, nah. nah. And, it's, and it's like, and it is that kind of, you know, even to call your closing track could be better forever. It's kind of like, you know, am I okay yet? Am I not? Do we ever become okay? It To me, it's just, it's everything about, it's distilled of the, the 90s math, rocky, cap and jazz emo and the more pop punk accessible modern baseball lilt of the later revival scene. All kind of encapsulated in one record, and it, 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 if someone, one person, said to me, "What's one emo revival album worth checking out?" I'd be like, "Snowing." I could do whatever I wanted if I wanted, and there's a bunch of bearded, hairy lads all across the world who'd back me on that. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, it's Fair. just a great. It's a great. Um, if, if it does everything emo should do, it's like fun and energetic and punky and angsty, but also really weighty and emotional. But only asks for a half an hour of your time.
1: Is there like, um, is there a lineage to something like Spanish love songs? Like, you know, in that sense that it's overly dramatic, very angsty, but it's also kind of got that fun pop punk musical or is it a different strand?
0: No, it'd be, it would, it would be very much the same. I wouldn't say sonically, but emotionally, cathartic wise, okay. very, very similar experience to when you listen to a Spanish love songs record. Okay. Imagine, Imagine feeling the way a Spanish love songs record makes you feel, but it sounds a bit more like cat and jazz. It's okay. a bit more punky and matty and a bit more constantly upbeat and scatterbrained and shit. But it is the same kind of thing where the lyrics are like uncomfortably honest and, re- and uncomfortably relatable, mm. but there is a sense of sad catharsis by the time you're done with it. it is that, it's, it's that exact brand of emo pop punk amalgam, yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I I, I do you know what I'm gonna check it out. You've you've sold it to me, so you Sorry. have. Um, my next one is, ah, man, this is a good record. Oh, this is a good record. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna know this one either. Um, but if you don't, you should check it out. Um, if I was to ask you, what does the, the phrase alternative metal mean to you? Who 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 would kind of pop into your head if I said alternative metal?
0: Oh Jesus. Uh yeah. The weird weird the fir- the very first band that sh- jumped into my head was Chevelle. Mm. Uh Chevelle maybe system of a down uh mm. fuck. Alternative metal. It's
1: a very nebulous term, really. It, like, is you know, it can brilliant. cover a whole lot of ground. But I always yeah. associated it with the nineties. Like the 90s, I think, was a hotbed for alternative metal. Yes, you know?
0: Helmet and shit like that. It all, yeah, it's, it's all Here that. Here we 90s. go. Okay. So uh,
1: this album was released in February 1997. Um, it was produced by Terry Date and the group is made up of Pete Menged from Helmet, yep. who recruited <laughs> members of Cro-Mags and Quicksand, as well as vocalist Jer- Jeremy Chatelain Chatelain I, I, I if I pronounce that wrong I apologise and he went on to farm Jets to Brazil do you know Jets to Brazil?
0: no I know am I correct in saying that Jets to Brazil was your man from Jawbreaker's project Um, I don't know let me look that I up know, for two seconds yeah look that up now because I know that because I, I love Jawbreaker love him but I know that when Jawbreaker broke up I'm pretty sure the, the front man the primary songwriter started his own a new project yeah, and I Blake, know
1: I was talking about. Blake Schwarzenbach
0: yeah, that's why I didn't say it because I I can never get Blake's surname right but I'm nearly certain he started Jets to Brazil that was his like yeah. that was what he did after Jawbreaker
1: with Jeremy Chatelain
0: oh shit I did not know that
1: The the vocalist in this band the band are handsome and the album is self-titled don't know this at all Man, this fucking record is unbelievable. This is their entire discography. One album, 39 minutes, 40 seconds. They... I believe that they formed it like Pete Mengied and the guys from cro and stuff. They formed it to kind of move away from the styles of playing they were doing in their, their own bands. You know, Mengied wanted to do kind of different things than what he was doing in, in Helmet to get away from the, the stop, start kind of juddering kind of fucking riff and get into more kind of expressive forms of music, you know. And uh, the Cro-Mags guys wanted to get away from that kind of trashy crossover sound. And oh, boys did they manage it? Um, they got the melodic singer, Jeremy Chatelain. Um, and their kind of goal, what Mengid said he wanted to do was he wanted to get a melodic singer of a really heavy music. And they they did really achieve that. But also it's got this weird, it's got this kind of uplifting feel to it. Um, the record has Touches of helmet, Quicksand, Smashing Pumpkins, Rage Against the Machine, Failure, Far—you know all of that kind of cool alternative metal stuff. You know that, that it's like that's such a wide-reaching. It's
0: kind of like it's that it's it's when the nineties, when grunge basically started m- allowing the lines to get blurred between post-hardcore and metal and grunge, and it just exactly. became alternative kind of music. Yeah, I get yeah, you completely.
1: you know what I mean. And this, I think, actually, this record is a really like. It's a fucking really great distillation of all of that good shit, all of that lovely, warm, riffy 90s metal mixed with like, a. the singer is, I like his vocal style. I can understand maybe how it would put some people off. It's not grating or annoying or nasal or anything, but it's the production, it kind of. It it sits kind of strangely in the mix a little bit maybe, but um, man, I just think it's fucking amazing. It's got like loads of like really like punchy riffs, it's got great bass lines, the drumming is great, and when the choruses hit on this record, they are monumental. I mean like, like I, those names that I, I said, it sounds like I haven't said them lightly. You know what I mean? I mean? You know how, how much I hold up the likes of failure and rage against the machine and you know, Quicksand, and it's the, it's a similar kind of, you know, the way Quicksand have that really like kind of warm, but still punchy sound. Yeah. You know, I know warm is kind of an obtuse kind of word for it, but you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's kind of welcoming almost.
0: Oh, totally! It's the, it's that nineties hue almost. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That hue, the nineties hue. Exactly. It's got that nineties aura about it, and man, handsome, absolutely fucking nail all of it. Um, the whole record just goes. Uh, the chorus is a huge man. It's a great listen. I think it's really easy to get into and to kind of get stuck in. You know, it's. It's one of those records where it's like, it's 40 minutes. And if my car journey is 35 minutes, I'm sitting in the car to listen to the last song, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, I don't want this to end, you know. Uh, It's achieved this real kind of cult-like status. It's impossible to get a hold of on vinyl, uh, despite there being, there's been a couple of represses. I think there was one in 2013. Um, It goes for a pretty penny on Discogs. And obviously with the inflation at the moment, it's going to go up even more. And I don't really know why the band didn't hit. Because... It has loads of hooks. I think it sounds great. I mean, it's produced by Terry Date. Of course, it sounds good. And it's got members like with like kind of individually big legacies, you know. Um, and if anyone wants to send me the record, you know, do please hit me up. That'd be great because I really, really want it. Um, so like I said, it's that kind of most nebulous of genres, the alternative metal. And it's got a quicksand flavour to it. It's got a helmet flavour to it. But it's also got a really kind of major key uplifting, kind of happy, kind of floaty kind of vibe, as well as being able to fucking smash your teeth in when it needs to. Um, It's just fucking great. And I just refuse to acknowledge anyone who argues with it. If you hear this record and you're into the stuff we're into, I don't know how you wouldn't really, really like it at least. And I'd be surprised if you didn't fall absolutely head over heels for it. Uh, I think it's I think it's absolutely magnificent. Um, And I I can't really say any more than that, because there's no story. There's no, you know, the bands just wanted to do a side project. There's no real reason they broke up. It just they got a couple of cool tours. That was it. it. It was that was what it was. You know, they like, um, I, I think they signed like a three record deal um, with someone. And I think it was like Epic or someone like it was a big enough label. And I uh, just, that was it. <laughs> Nothing ever came of it, you know. I think they started new material and, but they were let go um, through some weird like contractual clause or something. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it's great. The The members have gone on, you know. Um, to as I said Jets to Brazil um, one of the bassist, I think he went to play with Mark Lanigan and you know they work with like Queens of the Stone Age, those that family of people as well uh, it's just it's fucking great man I, I can't say enough good things about it um, and I wish I could tell you more about it you know but it's like if like I said if you like any of the bands I mentioned and if you like Deftones I can't see why you wouldn't like this record and I can't see how it hasn't, like, it hasn't, like, even found that retrospective kind of, like, shit, we missed like, that at the time.
0: Kind of like the way, like, about two-thirds of people at hum shows now are people who found hum through, like, bands like Title Fight and stuff. like.
1: Exactly, exactly, that hum effect, exactly, that's exactly what I mean. Um, just, to, like, to to finish off, um, Kerrang! put it as one of the twelve most underrated albums of the nineties, and I would definitely agree with them. And like uh louder sound, you know, they're that they, they do classic rock and metal hammer and everything. They're the kind of mothership for that, I think. Uh they included them in like the top fifty cult metal bands and they they really are, um, and I, I genuinely think you'd love them, man. You'd you'd really enjoy them, and um, that's speaking to you directly, but also you those out there in the listening for the record universe, just check out handsome, handsome, not Hansen umbap, handsome as in he's such a handsome boy. Uh, go check them out; they're fucking great, and it's one record. It'll take forty minutes of your time, and you won't regret a second of it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm very much sold. I I've never heard of this, and it sounds. Right up my street, alley, and uh, section of the of the building blocks. So
1: forget about going back and checking out AxeWound. Like Axe Wound is a bit of fun; it's a bit of crack. But like, you might actually really like Handsome.
0: <laughs> Sweet. No, I, I'll prioritize Handsome for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> but, uh, I think yeah. that's wise. So, is this my last one? My this is your last one. one, yeah. Okay, then I and think also.
1: Just, just to reiterate what we said at the start, this has actually been really good fun, so this is definitely Volume 1. We are going to revisit this, definitely.
0: Yeah, there are there are oodles of other one-and-done albums that need representation, but the top one today, ladies and gentlemen, is an album that I tracked down on Volume Lair about a year or two ago, and I was so delighted, because this was one I just did not know about until... Mm-hmm. It was like five six years after it had come out a buddy of mine introduced me to it and it just you know when you listen to an album once and you're like oh my god this could end up being one of my favorite albums of all time and yep. then you listen to it again and you're like oh fuck, it is so the album i'm talking about is the one and only full length from a band called blackfish spelled all one word without a c so b l a k fish and their one and only album was titled champions now, this record is absurd. This is one of my favoriteest albums that has ever walked the earth. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, they, they had a handful of EPs beforehand, uh, most of them demo quality, but the last EP before this was called See You in Another City and that really established them quite well and got them a lot of buzz and they signed to Hassle. And then they put out their debut, one and only album, Champions. Now, this is like the sound of, you know, it because I've talked before about bands I love, like Reuben, Lower Than Atlantis, uh, Foxjaw, that kind of b- British post-hardcore, heavy, cheeky lyrics, like... But Blackfish took it to a whole other place because Blackfish were so technical. Blackfish almost, Blackfish are like a math core Ruben is the best way I could put it. They're like really technical, really heavy, yet still super catchy and instantaneous. So the way Ruben were able to kind of marry those elements of like Dillinger escape plan technicality and hardcore fury, but then also with these like proper sugary instantaneous hooks like almost like Biffy Clyro like early Biffy as well Blackfish are just another one of those great contenders for that scene of music but there's something about champions that just really resonated with me because I love my hardcore and I love my math core and my technical music but I also love my catchy hooks and I love wittiness in my lyrics so I mean like Blackfish almost had that they almost had that early gallows type of like confrontational punk, but in a far more nuanced, sardonic way like Reuben would. I mean, there's a song like the songs on the subject matter of Blackfish's songs, especially throughout Champions. Um, the opening track Economics is about modern day economics and the cost of living crisis. And it's funny that, you know, the album came out in 2008 and, you know, it's more relevant now. Uh you know the what's that line where he says you know um what we all earn in one year footballers earn in one week mm. I like and, and then like you end up going to songs like uh what's that great tune you know uh Ringo Starr second best drummer in the Beatles and like and, and they go they, they like talk about like modern music and like what what's that great line um I don't know what came first, the shit music or the shit drugs, but all the kids who used to come to shows now just go to clubs. <laughs> you know, I don't think, I was a, I've was never liked dance music and I don't think that I ever will. <laughs> like There's just like re, real sarcastic fucking moments in it. And, um, the, I, I, but then there are moments, but then like, and you have these like, com, like I said, complete freak, like there's two singers, both the guitar players song and they could both sing and they could both scream. So you almost had like a double, like the way Simon Neal from Biffy or Jamie Lemon from Ruben had a great singing voice and a shrieking, howling vocal too. When you have two boys able to do that, it almost has like a callous Dowboys effect where you're like bouncing back and forth between these two unhinged, shrieking, screaming deliveries. And then they can both trade off in these really sugary, sweet pop hook ways as well. And I mean, no band should be able to write a song as catchy and as furious as I Saw a Car on Fire There Once, which is a song about trying to find parking in London. (laughs) And that's what I love about them. Like, they they stick within their fucking messages on a lot of their tracks where it's like, this is what the song's about and this is what it's staying about. You know, uh, and then there's like, the, the most amazing point in the album for me comes toward the end where they really lean into their more melodic tendencies on a song called... Randy Sage, True American Hero. And that song is literally about when the band were traveling from England to the States, to Seattle, I think, to record the album. And there's a song on the album called Scotland's Worst Invention, which is about the television because the TV was actually invented by someone in Scotland. So, but the the lyrics of the song really go into, like, porn and fucking you know all of the shit you can just watch on your tv and become desensitized to violence on your tv and all that and they had the lyrics in a notebook and security went through their shit and found the notebook of lyrics and didn't want to let them through because of the lyrics of scotland's worst invention they were like why are you coming into the states which are like with these perverted lyrics, and the boys were like, we're a band, like, look at our, why are you going through my lyric notebook? And then, like, it became this big fucking thing, like, where they weren't going to let them through and all this, and at one of the airport's TSA staff, like, came over and was like, they're like, they're clearly a punk band, like, this is clearly a lyric book, they're going to record in America, like, what are we doing? Let them through. And the band were like, what's your name? We're going to write a song about you, man. And the man the was like, all right, my name is Randy Sage, lads, whatever. And the boys oh, were like, hey. Yeah and the boys wrote a song in the studio and put it on the album that's just all about them being stuck trying to get through into the states. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. so like the album is just brilliant and like I said it's like super it is like I mean there are parts of this that are borderline math that, that no fuck borderline they're mathcore they're like mad time signatures, shrieking, screeching vocals, like mad frenetic guitar playing. And then it just turns into like the most sugary, lovely hook, like a fucking band headline in Electric Picnic would write. It, it It's like f- that FFO for fans of, like fucking, like I said, Ruben, Lower Than Atlantis, Foxjaw, Dillinger Escape Plan, Every Time I Die. It's like British Every Time I Die at times. That's almost one of the best ways I could put it. Those really sardonic sardonic. Sarcastic, witty bastard self-aware lyrics with almost these southern bented, hyper technical kind of hardcore songs with these sugary hooks that are unashamedly pulled off with this blase attitude. That like black that's blackfish for you. Uh, like Champions is such a good record. And I and I really do rate the EP that came before it too. See you in another city. I mean, only Blackfish could write a song, literally a song about tidying your mom's gaff before you have guests coming over. And like like they said the song's called Preparing for Guests and there's like this moment where he goes, uh, you know, it's like we're lying to all of our friends. This house will never be this tidy again. Lord, give me the strength to not hoover my room. <laughs> like, so like the boys wrote about really adolescent things, about like things we could all directly relate to. Uh, like there's an amazing song on the album, Champions, called We Beg, We Borrow, We Steal, where he basically takes equal aim at everyone. He's like, I fucking hate all of the yuppie cunts I went to school with who like had upper class posh parents and told them money was everything and they wear their fucking suits and I bump into them and they're like oh how are you and they think they're so fucking above me He was like but also fuck all the lads who were on the dole and just eating takeaway every fucking night he was like you he's like you're all fucking useless cunts to me and you know he was like because none of you are about living life like you're all just cunts and like and there is like and there's a there's like a Beautiful honesty in that, where he's just kind of like "fuck you." Uh, the album is just brilliant, it, and uh, and do you want to know what happened to Blackfish tyranny? Do you I don't. want to know what
1: happened? I, I mean, I don't know what what, what did happen to them.
0: Mm, yeah, this is this is what makes Blackfish a controversial one. I and it makes it makes them hard to listen to because oh, no, <laughs> no, not that bad, but something that really irks me because it's like, I know you can change your taste and stuff, but there's a mm, there is a sense of kind of betraying your ideals with Blackfish because one mm, okay basically champions blew them the fuck up, blew them the fuck up so much that they got opening slot for Biffy Clyro on the Only Revolutions Tour imagine Biffy Clyro and Blackfish like that' would be my like and like and Blackfish are the perfect band to open for Biffy. and people who are fans of early Biffy stuff would completely click with Blackfish and people who miss Rubin and miss Early Lord and Atlantis. Blackfish were on their way to filling that void and becoming that new band. And about two or three dates into the tour with Biffy that was basically gonna make them one of the two primary songwriters, one of the two vocalist guitarists, just switched on the band and said I can't do this I can't do the, the anxiety the pressure of it I just don't want to do it anymore the band like we've been together for years we've put out like four EPs this is our debut album we've been working so hard toward we're after getting our biggest tour to date. we've done like three dates this is going to blow us up no I can't do it we need to cancel the rest of the tour I'm out I'm like can you not finish the tour no no I don't even want to do the rest of the tour I'm done by left the band the band had to pull out of the tour Blackfish there's another band, the three remaining members started on their own called And You And I, but like, I mean I'll put it this way, Blackfish were like on tour supporting Biffy on the Only Revolutions tour, and then like two years later, And You And I were playing the smallest stage in the middle of the day at ArcTangent. Okay. So like basically the three boys had gotten that far with Blackfish and because of your man leaving the lads tend to go to the back of the queue again and start all again and start graft. And, and, and you and I have never gotten to the place Blackfish were because one of the big things about Blackfish was the two guys bouncing off each other lyrically and vocally and their guitar. So when it became, and you and I as a three piece, it kind of lost the magic of Blackfish. But the thing that hurts the most is the member of Blackfish who left, who is the one who wrote the lyric and sings the song where he says, you know, all the people used to go to clo- shows, now go to clubs, mm. the shit music, shit drugs. I don't like dance music. I don't think I ever will. He's gone. And I'm not trying to, like, lambast, like, electronic producers, do your thing, more power to you, But he's gone, like, full, like, fucking awful indie pop, like, fucking Macklemore meets the XX, Ooh. like, fucking. Real bad, just like like Gotcha wannabe, you know. Real bad, just atypical synth pop, fucking indie radio. That's like not clicked anywhere. Doesn't have a lot of views. No one's gotten on board with it because it's shit and it's soulless. And for him to like spend an EP, EPs and an album talking about how he's not that person and punk to him is this and and nonconformity and and then to leave the band after while well, you're on the way to making it and go off and make that shit. Like who, who? No one won. Yeah. He went off and did his indie pop shit that no one clicked with. The boys had to start, and you and I that no one clicked with. Whereas if they had stayed in Blackfish, they would, I don't know, like, oh, but what if? It, but, but like to go from the earnestness and rage and sardonic fucking just endearing attitude that was like the staple of Blackfish to like this utterly soulless shit. It was me who found out first, and my buddy who introduced me to Blackfish. He had told me the whole story. And then when I found your man's new stuff, I was like, have you heard your man's stuff since he left? And I remember sending it to him and all my mate replied to it was the quote, I don't like dance music and I don't think that I am. <laughs> like, yeah. Talk about like, if you're going to put that on an album, but then in the span of three years, be able to make some really shitty indie pop, then yeah. like think about your values and your statements a bit more. If you're that easy to flip flop.
1: It sounds very like the the Mike Deuce situation, doesn't it? Um, yes.
0: Very similar. You know, very,
1: he, very similar. What was that thing he did? Headache? Was it? Was it yeah, Headache? Headache, That yeah. was fucking tragic. Like
0: bad, man, for,
1: I one of the, for one of the, like genuinely one of the best songwriters of like, you know, our generation. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Very bad. Very bad. But I was like, I know that name. I know this Blackfish. I know this Blackfish. They did. They were part of the 15 years of Hassle Records. That's, That's why, where uh,
0: I got the album.
1: Yeah, Champions was, was because t- I got um, Dead Set on, uh, not Dead, I got um, Barting the Giant by Cancer Bats in, um, in that repress. I, I knew I recognized it. Um, just while you were saying there, I just gave a quick listen to uh, a little bit of the track. Like, this sounds absolutely right up my street. I am fucking going to check this out almost immediately. I, this sounds like right, like really for me
0: champions is one of those albums without exaggerating that like when i had it on my old laptop on itunes like it was well over the hundred plays each oh yeah yeah Yeah, i had written i had i had had, my itunes plays were all up in triple figures i had it on cd and now (laughs) i have it on vinyl like one of my favorite just to be the vaguest way possible one of my favorite punk or alternative albums that there has ever been like it and the thing is like I've said like a million times the influences of this band how heavy it can be but how catchy it can be how it can click so many things for me at once I want to listen to something that's really chaotic and heavy but I also Mm. want some I can sing along to and dance around to but the thing about Blackfish that's so great is that they have like this just beautiful ability to make a big deal out of nothing and I mean that in the sense that their lyrics like you kind of sometimes you're waiting for like them to steer into another direction and show the darker more deeper core of what they're saying with this metaphor and it's like no no they're literally just writing a three and a half minute math course song about trying to find parking in London yeah or they're it's the
1: go, um it's a very British thing isn't it you know the the seeing beauty in the mundane I think they, they yeah. often they often say about you know like someone like I, I you know I don't personally like him but you know Morrissey does it and you know uh, Mike Deuce again was a real proponent of like you know really simple things but finding the, the story in them or whatever. But um, yeah. I'm I'm definitely gonna check this out, man. Definitely. I think you know, that's a really good show. It sounds like it's super for me. Yeah,
0: so like I said, you you'd be all about it because every band I've mentioned there's like anyone who like I said is a fan of Reuben Garly Lord and Atlantis, Every Time I Die, Gallows, this is this is one of the the most slept on like British mathcore hardcore punk post-hardcore albums there has ever been. And this is one of those albums and bands that I feel like, because Hassel have so much more regard now, even though they've always kind of been underground champions of this shit, I think if Blackfish came along now, they blow up even more than right. they were doing back then. But yeah, I that to me, it's one of my favorite one-and-done albums, but it's also one of my saddest ones. Because of it, it what could have been. Because what could have been. And the fact that it was always... To, Even to your man who changed his mind mid tour with Biffy, you can tell on that album that that wasn't meant to be the last one. This was the bold debut statement, and it just kills me to. And when you hear listen to the album and you hear all the nuances and the tracks that really lean into the heavy side, and the tracks that are really melodic, it's like one of those glow on things where you're like, they could have gone in fucking twenty directions after this album, Mm -hmm. and each one of them would have been acceptable because of how. Dynamic Champions is one of the what an amazing, fantastic one and done album. Blackfish cool. Champions. If you like any of the music that I've mentioned, there are those bands, are, like, or out of these three albums, I can't champion uh, hey. <laughs> enough. Yeah, Blackfish Champions, fucking one of the most criminally underrated, overlooked alternative rock and punk records that the UK has ever put out, in my opinion.
1: Cool. Um, so, unusually, we've actually, there's been no album mentioned that the other person knows by either of us so far um so just to recap we've got the boy will drown fetish we've got axe wound vultures we've got snowing i could do whatever i wanted if i wanted we got handsome by handsome and we've got blackfish champions and the final record we're going to talk about today is one that i i'm not even going to pretend that you don't know this record i will be stunned if you don't know this record um and this was, when you when you mentioned this, this was my first pick. This was the first thing I wrote down. I was like, if we were doing a top three, I know we said we weren't. I think that this would be in there. I haven't given it a huge amount of thought because I kind of had a free shot. You know, I was like, just pick one and duns that you like. We don't have to rank them. I don't have to put too much thought into it. But I, I do think that if if I was picking my top three, one and duns, this would be in there. Um, this record took six years to make before its release in May 20, 2006. And it comes from the mind of one of the greatest musical artists and visionaries in history, Mr. Mike Patton.
0: I think this I record
1: is the eponymous record from Peeping Tom.
0: I fucking had this on my list. I literally was thinking about this one today. Yeah. And I was like, maybe not. And Tierney's yeah. probably going to talk about this. Yeah. But yeah, this was on my list too, baby. Fuck yeah. That.
1: Yeah. Um, do you remember this when it came out? Because Fuck yeah, I do. Of course yeah. I do. Because, do you know the crew that we used to like hang with back in the day when we were in the metal scene or whatever? Um, like, everyone went absolutely batty for this record.
0: It was, I distinctly remember it was because Mojo, the single, started getting rotation on Kerrang and Scuzz. And yeah. I remember like, the first time it came on I was thought why is this weird hip hop trip hop song on Kerrang I'm switching over and then like a night or two later it comes on again and I'm like oh it's that weird trip hop song again Wait, is that Mike fucking Patton <laughs> is that the dude from Fate No More and Bungle and Tomahawk and, and is Miles? that is that it was, was, it, was it Tom DeLonge was in the video
1: from Mojo Tom, I don't think Tom DeLonge's in that video is he I think he was man there was someone funny in the video Mark Hoppus.
0: Mark Hoppus in the video.
1: It is accompanied by a music video directed by Matt McDermott and featuring appearances by Danny DeVito, Mark Hoppus, Rachel Hunter, and Danny Automator.
0: I knew Danny Automator was in it because he's yeah. like a part of the fucking album, but like, jeez yeah. I didn't know Mark Hoppus yeah. was in that. Yeah. But yeah, that, when that clicked with me, then I just immediately, now, now, dear listener, if you're of the younger variety, you might not know that we didn't used to have the luxury of Spotify. No, we did not. We had Pirate Bay, <laughs>
1: yeah, or a similar,
0: Or <laughs> a similar torrent
1: hub, and you would. I, I would have to it. stress as well that we don't approve of our own behavior at the time. No, no. no. But I was eighteen when this came out, and I had no money um, at all. And yes, I still managed to pick up a copy of this on CD. Because uh, I w- I'll get into it, but I'll let you finish your story because I'm about to go fucking berserk here.
0: But I was just thinking the other day, I was listening to something, I heard something on YouTube I liked and then I put the album in Spotify, downloaded it and I was walking home and I thought to myself, you know, kids today don't know how easy they have it because, you know, it, back in the day, like, I mean, like, cause a fucking Spotify premium account costs nothing now. No, but back no. in the day, I mean, when I was a teenager, if I heard something I really liked on YouTube in the town I lived in, like it, you couldn't even go online to find these albums to order them without them costing an arm and a leg so you would find an old shitty torrent site type the album in it would have like zero cedars and one leecher and you would download it and then like a week later you would forget about it and you'd get a little pop-up message being like this album is downloaded and you were like oh yeah and you put it on your ipod and anyone
1: like 25 or under they've heard you go cedar leecher what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like they, they will not they will not know what you're on about. Like
0: oh, it's it's fucking insane, man. It's insane. I had all these albums like that would take like a week to download because they were dead torrents, and then and then and because you got it on your fucking iPod, then you would cherish having it, even yeah. though it was an illegal file share. So I mean, nowadays like Spotify, I mean I I'm like Netflix and streaming because I used to rent videos, I am still not over the fucking novelty of the fact that I can just type in any album to Spotify and download Same. it to my phone. Like, it's
1: amazing. It's um, amazing. You just, you just touched on one of my favourite things, my favourite part of, of that whole era, my iPod. My iPod Classic 160 gigabytes or whatever it was, the little the little small brick, the little grey brick you slot in my pocket, listen to really shitty headphones because I didn't know what good headphones were at the time and just have the best time. But man, I'm not exaggerating. For most of 2006, from the moment I got this album, however I uh, procured it, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there was a day that went by that I didn't listen to something off of this record. I was absolutely obsessed. When you were talking about Blackfish and the plays and your iTunes going up over the hundreds or whatever. Man, I honestly don't know how many times I listened to the some of the songs in this record. Um, we're gonna get I I'm gonna get into the songs because I know we can have a bit of back and forth about this because you know the tunes as well. But um I I don't know, can you remember this? But at the time, so Mike Patton is like, for those of you don't know, I'm sure those of you listening do know, he's like the, the, the best singer in the history of alternative music, possibly. He's one of those people who has a real claim to that. You know, he's m- most known for Fate No More, but he's got Tomahawk, Mr. Bungle, Phantom Ass, endless amounts of side projects. And this is one that I just, I cherish so much. But um, I don't know if you can corroborate this story or not. But at the time, I remember there being an interview with someone where Mike Patton said he was sick of radio at the time. He just hated everything he heard on the radio. And his vision for Peeping Tom was that he wanted it to be what radio should be. He wanted it to be what the radio in his brain sounded like. Um, That's the quote I remember at the time. And I, I just, I find it bizarre that this didn't kick off in a huge way. Because he enlisted some unbelievable names. And he said that some of the people on the record are still strangers to him. They never met. They just made the record by sending files back and forth to each other. But uh, on this record, he works with uh, Odd them, Razel, Dandy Automator, Amon Tobin, Cool Keith, Gel, Massive Attack, Bebel Gilberto, Kid Koala, Dos One, Dub Trio, and perhaps most memorably, Nora Jones, um, who was massive at the time. And uh, he made her say the word fucker and everyone went ballistic because Nora Jones with her sweet sultry vocals swore on record. It was amazing. Um, the songs on this record are fucking amazing. And I think they still hold up really really well i turned it on the other day and i still remember all the words like i said like i listened to this constantly for a, for a year and then intermittently since like but i mean like all the fucking time i was obsessed i think 5 seconds is an unbelievable opener um you know that 1 second 2 seconds 3 seconds 4 seconds 5 seconds and oh so good more joy is weird and sexy and groovy and like the beatboxing from Razel is sick don't even trip Has the best chorus. I know that asshole's growing trees and I'm here to trim the leaves and I'm afraid that you're still my friend and you're just a piece of shit but I can overlook it today because you're still my friend. It's so fucking good. I just love this record, man. That's Uh,
0: it's not the worst Patton impression in the world, you know. You <laughs> That's can tell me. you've That's... heard that album obscene amounts that you got the cadences kind of down. Like.
1: Yeah, I'm just so I'm so fucked. I've been I've been playing music for the last five nights in a row, and I'm my throat is fucked, or else it would be even better. Um, and I, like I said, hearing Nora Jones say "fucker" in her gorgeous sultry vocal, I really like Nora Jones's voice. Like some of her songs are very kind of you know wallpapery, but like she's a yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. But um like she's got a beautiful voice and like hearing her sing, the, you know, on the track Sucker is amazing. And then the best track is probably the last one, We're Not Alone, which has this like just gigantic <laughs> chorus with this really mad production job and Mike giving one of his most glorious and mental vocal performances. I...
0: Fucking your, neighborhood space, love.
1: Oh, your neighborhood space, man. Ah, what a tune!
0: Right through your neighborhood space, man. Oh awesome. man, everything, everything I yeah, hear, I think brilliant.
1: is fucking incredible. Like this record is fucking incredible, and like honestly, first draft pick for the one and dones for me. It's just like straight in there. Adore this, adore this record.
0: You see what I, what I think is great about Peeping Tom is the fact that like, as genreless or genre fluid as Patton can be, and like I mean, just look at Bungle, look at Fate No More. And then as experimental as he can be, and shit. The thing about Peeping Tom was like, you know, yes, it is still bona fide pattern weirdness and pattern pattern eccentricities, but for the most part, it really it feels to me like Patton took like the elements of hip-hop and trip-hop and like modern kind of production and modern pop music that he liked and. It's almost like he he put him he set him put himself in a box and was like what what how far can I push my patinisms but but stay in these confines don't mm. don't allow myself to like I don't have Trace Bruins or someone to allow me to fucking let's just throw in a cluster fuck no let me stay like I mean the the, the the box is still pretty big but it's quite broad yeah. Quite broad, but it's it's still a confine in terms of patent. For as, <laughs> do you know what I mean. That for expensive.
1: anyone else that like spends genres beyond anything I can ever even imagine, yeah. but for patent it's really narrow.
0: Yeah, for anyone else that would be in a really impressive, like, like like expansive project. But for Patton, it's one of his most restrained. That's what yeah. I'm getting.
1: There is and an actual. There isn't, despite all the collaborations and. Like the various different styles he hits on, you're right. This is restrained. This is quite focused, almost. You know, for for a patent record, which you know, I think, perhaps in the past, he's worked with like fellow lunatics. You know what I mean? Yes. Where they're just like, rah, "Let's do everything all at once," you know. But
0: that's why Phantom Ass with Buzz from Melvins and Lombardo is. <laughs>
1: phantom Mass is just fucking absurd i mean the phantom is a lot even for me as me a, as a pattern obsessive yeah you know like i've listened to patterns like italian lullaby record like you know i like i adore mike Patton. but mando kane is the shit man Kane is it, the it, fucking that, shit yeah
0: let's not get that twisted mando kane is the fucking shit i know i have all me, like that's their favorite pattern release, like yeah. unironically, like
1: yeah, it's amazing. But like, you're 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 100% right to po- point out that boundaries, I suppose, the self imposed boundary. Like I said, he wanted to make daytime radio. This is what daytime radio would sound like if Mike Patton was in charge. And you know what? If that's the case, put Mike Patton in charge because this is fucking sick. Um, I I can't say enough good things about this record. It would be I would if if I was putting together my favourite Mike Patton projects I would ha- or like albums featuring Mike Patton or whatever like I would I would really give this serious consideration and that's alongside you know California. That's alongside Angel Dust. That's alongside King for a Day. That's alongside fucking The Arney is a Dead Sea EP. That's alongside your know, Director's Cut. Like this is, this is a this is a person with one of the greatest wild and weird discographies in music. And for me, this is one of his strongest entries. It mightn't be for everyone, but I adore it,
0: like I passionately. I couldn't agree more exactly what you said there like for me I mean all three all of the three first three bungle albums are up there Angel Cost King for a Day I mean that's
1: like that's ignoring the real thing because the real thing is the popular pick but I mean the real thing is fucking outrageous as well
0: yeah I mean, yeah, and then... Everything I mean,
1: Fate I, No More. I did, man, like, yeah. sorry. I even
0: like, I even like Sol Invictus. A lot of people front I love me. Sol Invictus. In, I yeah, think it's Solvictus. incredible. Yeah, thank you. Fucking thank you. You're the first person I've ever heard say that. Wow. I watch people go like, oh, it was a bit too little too late. I'm like, it's fucking unreal. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, yeah, it's like there was no other band putting out an album like that in 20... Was it 2016? 2015. 2015. I 2015. fucking... I remember I was, late, I was a few months late to Sal Invictus and everyone told me, oh, it's really disappointing. And I remember the first listen, I was like, no. what the fuck was everyone talking about? Sal
1: Invictus is <laughs> amazing, amazing, man.
0: But yeah, I and and I have a mad soft spot for those very, the first two Tomahawk records, the self-titled and midcast. And I, but like you, I hold Peeping Tom in, they're, they're like, I like you, I love Patton. I, I, I will put my ears on everything in his expansive discography, but there is an upper echelon. And peeping Tom is 100% in that upper echelon.
1: Exactly. That's that's actually a great way of putting it because, yeah, there is an upper echelon because he just literally, he does so much that some of it isn't going to hit no matter how much, you know, you want to try and convince yourself that it does. But it doesn't really, you know, um... But this is most definitely in the top tier of Patton entries for me. I think it's fucking incredible. I'm delighted that you love it as well because I I just think man I, I would I would have been surprised if you didn't because I remember just everyone that we were friends with back in the day was obsessed. Like I had like long conversations with people just about this record. Like fucking six of us sitting around the table in the Greyhound drinking pints, talking about fucking you know Mike Patton and. Peep and Tom and it was yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a good time. But um yeah, it's a fucking amazing record. Self-titled Peep well, and Tom is beyond brilliant.
0: I feel like it was almost a moment of vindication for people our age too, because like we were getting like blambasted with this whole, you know, oh you're all gots you all like metal and punk and nothing else. And it's like, no, we, we like good music, but like just a lot of what's popular now is shit. Like I you know, I had mixed feelings. You know, it's like it's like figuring out your sexuality. Like, you're figuring out your music taste. You're like 14, and it's like, I love mostly metal and punk. Mm-hmm. But, like, I really, really, really fucking love the Beastie Boys. And I really like Outkast. But all that's on the radio uh, who's, is...
1: Who's this Michael Jackson, dude? Fuck me, he's got some tunes, doesn't he? Yes. You know, and, like, okay. Elton John and fucking all but of that stuff is like... creeping in. And then it's just like, oh, metalheads metal are stupid. And, like, no, they're not. Look at
0: Mike fucking Patton. And everyone at school was like, you know, everyone liked 50 Cent and the game. And like, and I didn't like that. So it was like, oh, you only like metal. You, you don't even know anything about hip hop. It's like, no, but the hip hop you listen to is shite. And I still stand by that, that I think 50 Cent and the game are quite shite. But I still love Beastie Boys and shit. So when I heard something like Peeping Tom, I was like, yes, it's it's not me that's wrong. It's, it's people with shit taste. Like, I like other genres. I just... Uh, this is pro- this is letting me know that someone from these absurd heavy genres I like can show me that like no you you're on you, you're a, you can like other genres and other genres can be played with and don't don't feel let yourself feel boxed in and Peeping Tom was almost that moment of vindication that our tastes were changing and that we were on the right track that like because we didn't like 50 Cent and shit because it, it sucked. And this is how you could take trip hop and hip hop motifs and neo-psychedelia and neo-soul and make them intriguing. And I think Peeping Tom, for a lot of people who were like on board with Patton through Fate No More and then discovered Bungle, which was a big thing for a lot of people getting into experimental metal and extreme music, I think Peeping Tom was like a vindication of the other sort that you could start exploring these other genres of music and realize that like it's all just good music. It isn't a war between metal and hip hop or this genre. Yeah. And this, it's more war between good, sincere music and shite. And also,
1: I think it it actually, for me anyway, it was one of the records that opened my mind. Yeah, you know, it wasn't in like my in because when I was when I was eighteen, like I wanted nothing if if it didn't have screams on it. Like you know, I was fucking. I was in the mire, like I didn't like emo, I didn't like pop punk, I didn't like anything that wasn't loud and vicious and nasty. And obviously when I hear there's a new Mike Patton project, I'm like, ha that's for me. And then I was like, oh shit, this is different. This is different. And like, you know, now I, I love, like I love Massive Attack, like I own mezzanine on, on, on vinyl like, you know, and that's because of stuff like Peeping and Tom. And, and Mike Patton being such a fucking genius, man. And it's one of those records that kind of, you know, I'm always very wary of throwing around the word genius because genius is a really strong term. Like, you know, I mean, we should reserve that for actual genius, you know, high level people. Like, you know, I mean, to me, the musical genius who is still existing now and still operating is Trent Reznor. Like, so if you're not on Trent Reznor's level, you ain't a genius. But something like Peeping Tom is just a solidification and a verification of the genius of Mike Patton. And yeah, that's why it's one of my my one-and-done picks and it was the first one I picked.
0: And may I just add that I think one of the most essential, fascinating things about Peeping Tom is that in a discography that is made up of outlier material, Peeping Tom is the outlier of the outliers. <laughs> it's the outlier in bats discography which is fucking I could say it's something like.
1: It really is. It re- this is. And like we said, this is a guy who's recorded operatic versions of Italian lullabies as Four, well as most scabrous. Him,
0: just full albums of him making noises and grunts in a hotel room for a weekend. Literally.
1: Yep. And like, and this is a pop record through that filter. And it's Fucking incredible. So it's
0: like Peeping Tom's self titled album is like if David Lynch tried to make a romantic comedy. Do you know what I mean? It was Mike Patton trying to make like an accessible hip hop pop album. It, it's the same thing as David Lynch trying to make an accessible rom-com. It's going to do its best, but it's still going to be teeming with that eccentric weirdness. But but bottled and distilled enough that it's still super managed, just accessible. And but like but like the weirdness is just pulsing through it the whole time. It, that's the best way I could put it.
1: That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. I th- I'd kind of liken it to something like, you know, if, um, if gorillas were an offshoot of, you know, tool rather than, uh, blur, blur. <laughs> you know, something like that, you know, it's just yeah. a completely different perspective on it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. fucking killer record, man. It's so fucking good. So that brings I, us you- to the... Oh,
0: you know, I've just said you've completely charted my course for Sunday afternoon. Now, as soon as we finish up here, I'm going now making some crumpets and coffee and throwing on beef and tom. Bro.
1: Same man, I'm going. I'm going checking out that Blackfish record for uh, for certain. Um, so, I hope all sure. of you people listening have enjoyed it as well. And there's six records there. If you've heard none of them, check them all out because um, there's killer music in there. I promise you, you you will find at least one record that you will really, really love. So thank you for listening. That was episode 44. That was For The Records, one and done's volume one, because we are going to revisit this. This was great fun. Um, great idea, Mr. Buggy. I am absolutely delighted we did it. So thank you for listening. Talk to you all next week. This is For The Records. My name is Sean Tierney. Music is the best.
0: I'm Buggy. Bye.